In our home, we have certain traditions, as I'm sure that you have in your home. As I was preparing for this message and thinking through my traditions, I realized a lot of our traditions actually revolve around food, um, which I found intriguing in a couple of those. I want to share with you one of them. One of the traditions in our home is Friday night. Friday night is pizza and a movie night every Friday night. It's the one night of the week that the kids don't ask what's for dinner. Uh, They ask, what are we watching? Um, which is fun. The other tradition that we have in our house is on Sunday night. And on Sunday night, my my Sundays are a little busy, as you can imagine. Um, Preach a couple of messages. We have an elders meeting after every other service, uh, which can go from anywhere from an hour to two hours, sometimes even three. Um, those can be kind of long. Uh, we have youth on Sunday night that I bring my son to, and so typically I stay up here and kind of work a little bit while they're doing their thing so I can get ahead of my week. And then sometimes there's other stuff sprinkled into there, discovery lunches and stuff like that. So by the end of Sunday night, I'm exhausted, and I'm exhausted in a really good way. Like it's been a full, fun, engaging day. So what we do at our house, instead of having a big dinner or supper, if you're from the South, um, instead of having a big Sunday supper, we have a little cold plate, which is just cheese, crackers, some sort of meat if it's left over from the week, or salami or something like that. And we just kick back on the couch. Now, I don't know how old you think I am, but I'm going to be at least 60 when I say this. Um, And we watch Masterpiece, the Masterpiece Classics. There's something about that music where Stacy and I just relax, and we go, ah, oh, it's been a good Sunday. And we eat our cold plate, and we relax, and it's so fun. A, t- a true story, w- one of the, um, one of the uh, millennials that's here, I told them we watch Masterpiece Theater, and they're like, my parents watch that. And I was like, well, I'm the same age, probably. Um, but that's all right. But, but our son, you know, we have all these traditions. And so my question for you is, what are your traditions in your house? The Art of Manliness, which is a a website dedicated to helping men be men, Um, they've written a few books and stuff like that. They listed 60 uh, common family traditions. I'm not going to read them all to you, but here are some. Uh, Maybe your tradition is a family mealtime with all electronics turned off. That's usually the the caveat now. Maybe it's a family devotion time, and you've got uh, a tradition around how you do your family devotions. Maybe it's a family dance-off. I've I've heard of these. We don't do this in a house full of boys, but but, 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 they crank up the music to a particular song, and everybody drops what they're doing and starts dancing. Uh, Maybe it's bedtime stories. Maybe it's a family game night. For those of you with older kids, maybe it's everyone at home. Maybe it's Saturday morning breakfast, where it's a big breakfast. Maybe daddy-daughter dates or mother-son dates, first school of picture stuff. A lot of, a lot of these involve kids, I'm noticing. Um, birthday measurements on the doorframe. Maybe that was part of your tradition growing up, is that there was one particular doorframe that showed your growth as you went. Uh, maybe it's watching your, college, your favorite college football team together. Maybe that's a tradition or your, or your favorite football team. Easter's coming. Maybe your family did or does scavenger hunts instead of an Easter egg hunt. Or this one. I thought it was interesting, um, from a group of guys that come to fellowship, uh, they do what's called a fortnight fortnight. And every fortnight, uh, which is every two weeks, they pull the sheets off their bed, bring them into the living room, and, and make a fort. And they have their roommate meeting under the fortnight every fortnight, uh, which sounds like a blast to me. Um, uh, and, but that's a tradition in their house. And you see, there are tons of traditions that everyone has, Right? But here's what all traditions do. 
Traditions, no matter what they are, point to what we value and who we are. That's what a tradition does. It points to what we value and who we are. And so in our family, those, that Friday night tradition, that Sunday night tradition, that Friday night tradition, we value family and we value time together. And so, so it's about that. It's really not about the movie and it's really not about the pizza. It's about cooking the pizza together and sitting down together and, and catching up on our week and then watching the movie and just being together. Our Sunday night tradition, uh, we value hard work and we value rest in our house. And that Sunday night tradition celebrates both of those. You see, your traditions point to what you value and who you are. And today, what we're going to see is how those two aspects, what you value and who you are, how your traditions can be best lived out in Jesus. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. If you need a Bible, uh, there's some in front of you. If you use that Bible, it's on page 843 in that Bible. Like I said, you can use the Bible app. Just download the Bible app. Go to uh, events, click on Fellowship Asheville, and all the announcements are there. Everything is there. And we're in a series called Greater Than as we go through the book of Hebrews. And, and, and what this does, that symbol right there, uh, the greater than symbol in the circle gives me a slight panic attack every time I look at it for this reason. It reminds me so much of elementary school math, which I wasn't good at. And that greater than symbol gave me more heartaches than almost anything in elementary school math because I kept wondering, why do we point to the thing that's the least? That made no sense to me. It should point to the thing that's greater than. But the point of that symbol is the big part goes on the big part and the little part goes on the big part. Well, today... We're going to talk a little bit more about math. So get your math caps on, and we're going to do that. But we're calling this series Greater Than because as the book of Hebrews unfolds, we see that Jesus is greater than. He's greater than anything and everything in our lives. He's greater than, than our strengths. He's greater than our weaknesses. He's greater than our fears and greater than our doubts. Um, he's greater than our successes, and he's greater than our failures. He's greater than everything. And what we're going to see today is that he's greater than what we value and who we are, that he is greater than our traditions. Now remember, this letter, this letter was written, um, or actually this sermon was preached to a group of Hebrews, and a lot of the New Testament are letters. And that's why they start off with greetings and salutations, and they end with blessings. This is different, this book of Hebrews, because it's not a letter written to a group of people. It is a sermon that was preached. Now, here's what we don't know about the book of Hebrews. We don't know who preached this sermon, nor do we know who wrote it down. But what we do know is who this sermon was directed to, and it was directed to a congregation that was made up predominantly of Hebrew people. And so it was made up of people who grew up under the umbrella of the Jewish faith. They grew up as a part of the nation of Israel. Whether they were in Jerusalem or in Jerusalem or scattered abroad, they understood the Jewish faith and they had a Hebrew way of thinking, which is why sometimes this book is kind of hard to understand. Because when this preacher preached, he used illustrations and he used scriptures and he used things that a Hebrew mind would understand. But we don't have that Hebrew mind. And so part of my job as we teach this message is to help connect those dots between the Hebrew way of thinking and the Gentile, that's what we're called, as not being Hebrew, the Gentile way of thinking. And then to bridge that gap from an ancient church to a modern church. And today you're going to experience that because this preacher is going to take advantage of something that every Hebrew would understand right from the onset. 
Because as we talk about traditions, we miss a lot of what this section is going to talk about um, because we have many traditions, but as an ancient Jewish congregation, a lot of their traditions would have centered around one person, and that person is Moses. Now, if you were a Hebrew congregation and I mentioned the name of Moses, right now you would be nodding your head in agreement because Moses would be incredibly important to you. Because to you, as a Hebrew congregation, to you, as a part of the nation of Israel, Moses is one of the most important persons in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, are all attributed to Moses being the person who wrote them. And as a matter of fact, if you had a a Hebrew Bible, the Torah, and you opened it up, chances are the first five books of your Bible wouldn't be called Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would be called the five books of Moses because he's that important. And if you know the story of Moses, you would know that God is the one who not only used to write those first five books, but he's the one that God used to bring the top ten in to the nation of Israel, the Ten Commandments that God gave him the Ten Commandments to bring to the nation. And so if you're a Hebrew person, a lot of times when you hear the word Moses, you would think of those Ten Commandments. You would think of the law. So much so that if somebody mentioned Moses, you would think the law. If somebody mentioned the law, those Ten Commandments, you would think of Moses. That those names, those concepts would be almost synonyms in your thinking. Well, today's message, we're going to see how Moses is one way to define your traditions. It's one way to define what you value and who you are. But what we're going to see as we work through today's message is that there is a better way than Moses. And that better way is when we let Jesus define what we value and we let Jesus define what we are. That's the better way. Let's look at verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Therefore, holy brothers. Now, when you see a therefore, you always ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? Right? Because the the speaker, what he's doing is he's having you think about what you just heard. Which last week, what we heard was that Jesus is better than any of our heroes. He's better than all of our heroes because he's the hero who never leaves. Right? He's always with us. And so, therefore... What's the therefore, therefore? He's asking you to consider that hero. And then he says, holy brothers. Now this term is holy brothers and sisters, and so he's addressing the church, and he's saying, listen, y'all consider this. And look at what he says to the church. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And so he's calling their attention to consider Jesus. Now this term, he uses a familiar term and an unfamiliar term. The familiar term that he asked them to consider about Jesus is this idea of a high priest. And as a Hebrew congregation, you would understand immediately what he meant. That the high priest was the one person who in all the nation of Israel could go to the most sacred of places in the temple. And when he was in that one room, he would represent the people before God. And when he came out of that room, he would represent God to the people. He was the go-between between between the people of Israel and the God of Israel. And what this preacher is going to say, I'm going to give you the short version here, is that Jesus is our high priest. 
that's the whole point he's going to make. And I'm not going to belabor it because he's going to go into more detail about it later, about how Jesus is our high priest. But the point here is that Jesus is the one that stands between God and man. And he's the one that represents God to man and represents man to God, that he is our high priest. Now, he also introduced this unfamiliar term to them. At least, I think it's unfamiliar. In the research that I've done, I never saw the word apostle used anywhere in the Old Testament. That it is a New Testament term used to describe Jesus' disciples after the resurrection, after they were sent on the Great Commission to go make disciples, to baptize and teach. That was the commission that Jesus gave them, and they were sent. And that's what an apostle means. It means someone who is sent on a mission. So, even though this title of apostle isn't an Old Testament title, it's very much an Old Testament idea. Because all throughout the Old Testament, you see that people are sent. And so, so what, this, what this author, is, what this preacher is, is showing us is that Jesus is our apostle, that he was sent from God to save us. So not only is he our high priest that represents us to God and God to us, but he is our apostle. He had a mission to do, and he was sent to do that. But these words also give us an idea of where the preacher is going next, because what he's going to do is he's going to use those two ideas of apostle and high priest, and he's going to say in the same way that Moses was an apostle, even though he didn't have the title, he was sent. You remember the whole burning bush incident with Moses, where God gave him a mission to do and sent him to do it. Um, um, and that um, he is the high priest, even though he never had the title high priest. Right? His brother Aaron was the first high priest. Moses represented God to man and man to God. And there were many times in Moses' story where he did that, the Ten Commandments being one of those. That he represented man to God, and he brought those commandments to the people so that they would know how to worship God. So he represented God to man. And what he's going to show is how, how Moses is one way to think about these things, but Jesus is better. And you see, for us, here's where I'm going to transfer from a, a Hebrew congregation to a Gentile congregation in the 2000s, is that an apostle means someone who's sent on a mission. And a high priest is someone who, at the end of the day, has a job and has a position before God and before people. And so what we're going to see is that Jesus is not only our high priest and our, high po- and our, and our apostle, but we can think about it this way. That in Jesus, not Moses, but in Jesus, we find our best mission. That's like what an apostle is. It's, it's what God sent me to do. That's our mission. And in Jesus, not Moses, we find our best position. That's what the high priest is. It's, 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 it's who God has made me to be. And so you might be saying, well, Fred, of course I don't find my mission and my position in Moses. I don't find my my value. I don't find my identity in Moses. But here's what I think we're going to find as we work our way through this passage. And here's what kind of gets me excited and got me excited as I was working through it is that I think we're going to realize we find much more of our value and we find much more of of our identity. We find much more of that in Moses than we think we do. That if I were to give you a fill in the blank test or give you a bubble, uh, fill in the circle test, you would answer, of course I find my identity, of course I find my value in Moses. I mean in Jesus. But what I'm going to propose is that maybe 
we find more of it in Moses than we think we do. Look at verse 2. It says, uh, who was faithful to him who appointed him. So talking about Jesus, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. So Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. And so there we go. This preacher is going to introduce us to Moses. And he's a person with whom the nation of Israel placed much of their identity and much of their value was in this person of Moses. He was one of their heroes. But what this preacher is going to do is show how Jesus is better than Moses. He's greater than all of what we value. He's greater than all of who we are. He's greater than our mission and our position. And in this verse, we can see how Jesus has the better mission, the better, uh, the better mission from God, to be sent from God. Because it says that Moses was faithful where? If you look at that verse. Where does it say Moses was faithful? In God's house. And where was Jesus faithful? See, Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus is faithful to something greater than the house. He's faithful to the builder of the house. And so now what we're going to see is Moses is faithful to a place and Jesus is faithful to a person. And the preacher gives this illustration to paint the the picture because that's what we preachers like to do. We like to make a point and then tell a story, right? To to kind of paint a picture of it. Well, this is what he's going to do. And look at how he explains this in verse 3. The preacher says, For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Jesus, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So what he's saying is if you look at a house and you imagine seeing this beautiful house and and you like the structure of it and you like the, the, the design of it, you like the flow of the house, and you're like, man, that's a great house. But then you find out that somebody built it whose name you know. Then you find out it's not just any house. It's a house that Franklin Lord, uh, Lloyd Wright built. And all of a sudden, it turns from a cute little bungalow to a work of art. And all of a sudden, you realize this architect had designed over a thousand houses. 500 or so of them were actually built. And I don't even know how many of them are still standing. But all of them were a work of art. Not because he was just an architect that designed the outside, but he was also an interior designer and he designed the inside. And so a good architect doesn't just build a structure. They build a structure that tells a story. And a Franklin Lord, Lloyd Wright house tells a story outside and tells a story inside and the landscaping and everything walks you through this story. So when you see one of his houses, you don't just marvel at the house, you marvel at the person who made the house. And that's what this preacher's illustration is. That when when your mission is in Moses, man, it's a great work, but when you consider Jesus, you consider someone greater. You don't see a great work, you see a great person. That Moses was was faithful in the place of God, in the house of God, but Jesus is faithful to the person of God. And see, if Moses defines what you value, and it's less than letting Jesus define what you value, if Moses defines what you value, your your mission, what God has sent you to do, well, it feels like serving a place, and, and it feels like work, to be honest. It feels like you're serving walls instead of serving an architect. If Jesus defines what you value, you're serving a person and it feels like a relationship. And the theme can be seen this way. Let me me take you back to math school a little bit. So there's this little thing to the power of, or an expo... uh, uh, um, I just lost my blank on the word. I just blanked out on the word. What? Exponent. Okay, so I had it. Yeah, I did have it. Are you a math teacher? Used to be. See? 
I love you, and you were the bane of my existence when I was in elementary school. Um, um, <laughs> so good job. It's an exponent. And what an exponent does is it takes the thing that's big and multiplies it by that number. So if you have 2 to the power of 4, it's not 2 times 4. It's 2 times 2 times 2 times 2. It's, it's that way. So I kind of use that to describe what this preacher is talking about. When you have your mission, what God has made you to do, and you multiply that by the power of Moses, it feels like work. When you take your mission, what God has made you to do, and you multiply that by the power of Jesus, it feels like a relationship. And see, that makes all the difference. That's what this preacher is saying, that in our traditions, in what we value, in our mission, Jesus is better than Moses. And the way that looks for me, I believe that my mission, and not my title, not my, not my, not my job, but my mission, what God has made me to do is to point people to Jesus and to help them be all that God has made them to be. That's what God has made me to do. My title, my job, has been different in different seasons of my life. I, too, have been a school teacher, and I've taught math, and I've been that person uh, where I tried to explain what I didn't understand as a kid and help people understand it. Um, I have been a college uh, administrator at a ministry. I have been a college leader in ministry. I have been a counselor. I have been a preacher. I, that's what, kind of what I'm doing now. But in all of that, in all of that, my mission has been to point people to Jesus so that they can be all that God has called them to be. But sometimes that can feel like work and not a relationship. Even this grand mission and this grand idea can still feel like work for me. Sometimes I can look up and it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to kind of unwind from my day and I realize I've never talked to God once in my day doing his work. Isn't that ironic? And so for me, that's when I know that my mission is multiplied by the power of Moses rather than the power of Jesus, is when I look up and my prayer life has stopped, and my prayer life has, has been whittled away, that I'm just doing the work and not enjoying the relationship. And so how do you know? This is my question for you. How do you know when your mission becomes work? Is it when you lose compassion for people and people become those people? Is that when your mission has become work? Maybe it's when you lose your patience and grace has stopped. Maybe it's when you lose your energy and you're just too tired. But what about who you are? What about your identity? Because this preacher wants that to be in Jesus as well. How is Jesus a better definer of your position? He's a better definer of your mission, what God has made you to do. But what about who God has made you to be? Look at verse 5. It says, Now, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. You see, Moses' relationship was a servant, and he was a really good servant. You look at what he did, and he did a really good job, except for the whole murder thing. He did a really good job. Right? He did what he was supposed to do. As a matter of fact, his service was so great, God designed it to be a picture of something better. Look at, look at verse 6. 
Verse 5 says, Now as Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant, uh, in the rest of verse 5, to testify to these things that were spoken later. You see, what Moses did was point to something better. And I love this idea because Moses doesn't want you looking to him for your value and for your identity. Moses doesn't want you finding who you are and what God has made you to do based in the law of God. He knows that his job was to point to someone greater. That his job was to point to the coming Messiah for the nation of Israel. And we know his name is Jesus to be the anchor and the core of who you are and what God has made you to do. And look at verse 6. It says, but Christ is faithful over all God's house as a what? As a son. You see, in Jesus, we have this better relationship. Jesus is better at defining who we are because his relationship is better. So let me ask you this question. If I were to give you an option and I were to tell you, hey, the Biltmore family is moving back in, they're shutting it down for tourists and they're going to live in it and it's going to be this great thing. Do you want to be there as a servant or do you want to be there as a son? What would you say? Son or daughter? You wanted to be in on that inheritance, not working for it, right? You want to be there to enjoy the presence of the Father and to enjoy the the parents and the brothers and sisters. You don't want to be working for them. And that's what this preacher is saying, that our faith, our mission from God, and our position from God is found better in Jesus than in any other place. And that's why this formula still works, that our position, our position, our identity who God has made us to be, if multiplied to the power of Moses, it again feels like work. But if who God has made us to be, our identity, is multiplied to the power of Jesus, it feels like a relationship. You see, if Moses defines who you are, if the law defines who you are, who God has made you to be, and here's what that feels like. In a, in a southern church, because Asheville, you know, I grew up in Texas and then moved to Jackson, Tennessee, which is kind of the heartbeat of the South in many ways. Um, it was more Southern than I knew Southern could be. Asheville is this weird town where you've got this Southern city with a, an urban liberal city plopped on top of it. And so you get this bizarre mix of people. But to all the Southern people that call Asheville home, this is how we base our identity in Moses is we try and be good enough to get God to like us, right? Because we're from the South, and so we got this natural charm about us anyway, so God likes that. You need to go to Jersey, they don't have that. They got to work harder, right? But we're from the South. We, we cook fried chicken and biscuits and gravy, and, and, and God loves those things, right? And sweet tea, and so, so we've got these things that, are, that make us uh, have a natural affinity towards God. And so we think that we can actually be good enough for him to smile at us. You see, that's Moses' motivation. That's letting the law dictate your mission and your position. Because the gospel says something completely different. You see, if Moses, if the law defines who you are, who God has made you to be, you feel like a servant. That's what that kind of lifestyle feels like. It feels like you're working hard to make God happy. And you know what? It doesn't work. 
That's why it feels like a servant. As a matter of fact, here's the irony of that. Do you know that the law was designed to show you you can't be good enough? And yet we take those Ten Commandments and say, no, I can do that. I can do that. The law is designed to show you that you can't. It's designed to show you that you need a Savior. And yet, we try and be good enough ourselves. But see, if Jesus defines who you are, then you feel like a son. If tradition of Moses, that feels like work, tradition of Jesus feels like a relationship. Well, here's how this works for me. I've always known that God has made me a people person. He's made me an extrovert. I love Sundays because I get to be with you. On on that update, when I write it, uh, which is, if you're new here, you've noticed we don't do bulletins. We send an email out in the middle of the week that has all of our stuff on it. It always has a write-up for the sermon that's coming up. And and, and I always try and end it with something that I hold to and and I I believe is, is very true. And it's this one little phrase that I love being the church with you because I love being the church with you. Like, I love being around you. I, I, I love what God is doing in your lives. He's, he's made me an extrovert. And I love that. And, and, and as part of making me an extrovert, he's also made me this influencer of people. And so for as long as I can remember, walking with Jesus, part of the way he's used me is, is to help people see down the path of their life and to see what God is doing and for me to encourage them to take that step of faith and do what God is asking them to do. So I'm going to tell you something that please don't use against me and don't hold back from saying this to me just because you know what my answer is going to be. But anytime somebody comes to me because the way God has made me to be an extrovert and to be an influencer, if they come to me and say, Fred, I really feel like God is asking me to take this step of faith. And if that step of faith lines up with God's word and lines up with, with, with what God does traditionally in, in the church and in people's lives and, and all that stuff, my answer is going to always be then take that step of faith. Always. Because that's me being the extrovert, being the influencer, knowing my mission that God has, has, has made me to point you to Jesus and to be the best person that God has made you to be, that involves taking those steps of faith. That's when my position and my identity is multiplied by the power of Jesus. When my position and my identity is multiplied by the power of Moses, I don't tell you that. I tell you every reason why not to do that. Don't get married because you're not ready. You don't have enough money. Don't don't have kids because you don't have insurance. You don't have any money. There's no reason for you to have kids. That's by the power of Moses. By the power of Jesus. Like, listen, if God is asking you to do this and it lines up with his word, why in the world would you not do it? Because if you do, even in the face of those no's, you're going to know him better. Right? And and I tell you this because I need to hear this from y'all. A few weeks ago, we talked about doing a church plant in Weaverville. Even this morning, I woke up going, I don't know. I don't know if we're ready for this. I don't know if it's time for us to plant a church in 11 months now. That's Moses' motivation. What I do know is God has asked us to do it. What I don't know is everything else. But as a church, we take that step of faith. And so for you, here's what I want to boil this down to what i want to boil this down to is this one question and i want you to be honest between you and god 
Nobody else. This is just between you and God and your own heart. And this is where we see what that Moses motivation versus Jesus motivation feels like is this. Does your spiritual life feel like work? That's the question that kind of brings this to the core of your mission and your position. And it goes to the core of your relationship with Jesus. If you think about your spiritual life, your engagement with the Bible, with God's people in your growth group or whatever circle you're in, your service to the church, your service to the city, your prayer life, your gathering together with other believers and non-believers. If you think about all that, does that feel like work? It's funny, we're always, you know, we're, we're recruiting for Fellowship Kids and Fellowship Kids Junior, and there's uh, a particular family that is sitting over there, um, and, and I usually sit there, it's Drake and his kids, and he has the most expressive kids, and I love sitting next to them on Sunday morning because his little daughter skips every morning off to Fellowship Kids Junior, and so if you sit in the first five rows, you giggle at her too as she skips off having a glorious time. And, and I was watching them as we were doing announcements, and they talked about fellowship kids, right? And his older daughter was like, yes, fellowship kids. And we're recruiting volunteers, and she went, oh. And what's crazy is I love that because she's not the only one who did that. There were adults in here that was like, ah, fellowship kids, recruiting adults. I'm sorry, what are you talking about? <laughs> right, because we know there's this this, this, this work that's involved. And, and, and we know that in our spiritual life, it's easy to think, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not good enough to do that. You see, if so, then, then Moses, if your spiritual life right now feels like work, then Moses may, may be more of your tradition than Jesus. And here's a way to think about it. Do these things, serving in the church, evangelism, your own spiritual growth, do they feel like got to do them things? That you've got to do these things. If so, that's Moses' motivation. But, but there's one little change that can change everything when a got to becomes a get to. That's what changes everything. A change in one letter can change everything. You see, Jesus' motivation feels like a relationship. You don't got to go have dinner with your friends. You get to have dinner with your friends because there's a relationship there. You don't got to have dinner with your spouse. You get to have dinner with your spouse because there's a motivation there. And for you, maybe you're in this season of life where your spiritual life feels like a got-to instead of a get-to. And maybe your got-to is a growing type of got-to. And here's what I mean by that. When you, when, when you pray, sometimes praying seems difficult and God feels distant and your Bible seems disconnected and, and, and your time with believers maybe even seems unfulfilling, but you keep going because you know God has a purpose for you. God has a reason for you. But maybe your got-to has become a different got-to, and it's part of that therefore that was here in the beginning, going back, that, that God feels distant and prayer seems difficult and the Bible seems dif- disconnected and time with believers seems unfulfilling, but the difference is you've stopped caring. And you've let your heart get hard and get numb toward God and His people. And you've stopped growing. Well, the good news is there's one answer for both. There's one answer to get a got to to your get to, and it's the gospel. And see, you can't change that letter by yourself. That's Moses thinking that you can be good enough to change the O to the E from a got to to a get to. But see, our gospel is what fuels our mission and our position. 
And the gospel is simply that Jesus has already done the work for you. That God was this, is this good and holy and just and merciful God that desires to have a relationship with you. However, he can't because of the sin in our lives and in our hearts. And it seems like this really unfair game at times. Where God, who loves us, wants to spend time with us, but we can't be good enough. Well, he fixed the game. By sending his son, and his son, Jesus, lived a perfect life. His son did everything the way it was supposed to be done, the way it needed to be done. And we did everything wrong. We've done, we've done enough wrong. And yet, Jesus died the death that we deserve because he died the death that criminals and thieves die. Because we are the criminals and thieves. A way to think about it is that he took on our got-tos so we get to have a relationship with God. That's how the gospel motivates our mission and motivates our position. And if you're new to church, you've probably thought Christianity was, a, was all about the got-tos. I gotta go to church, I gotta read my Bible, I gotta pray, I gotta ask Jesus into my heart, I gotta do all these things. If you're new to church, what I want you to understand is that's not the gospel. That is Christian religion, but it's not the Christian faith. And the Christian faith is a get-to because Jesus has already taken on all those got-tos. That when your faith is in Jesus, that you believe that, that he lived and that he died for you and that he rose from the dead for you to have a good and right relationship with God, that's him taking on your got-tos. And the result of that is you get to have a good and right relationship with the God who loves you and the God who made you. But many of you have already done that. You've already placed your faith in Christ. And for those of you who have already done this, Jesus can still change your got-to to a get-to. And my encouragement to you is to rest in the gospel that you've believed, that Jesus really did die for you so that you could have a good and right relationship with the God who loves you and the God who made you, which means that when God sees you, he sees his son. That's why he treats you as a child of his. That when God sees you, he smiles because of what Jesus did. And because of that, you get to enjoy him. And here's a picture of what that looks like. In the rest of verse 6, first of verse 6 says, but, we, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. We are the house of God. Not the building, but the people. We are the brothers and sisters, and it's like we talked about last week. Jesus is our hero who never leaves us because he's right beside us. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And this word confidence is this courage in public and hope is courage in private. And here's the deal. This verse says, if we hold fast to it. The language there is a little tricky. The truth is, we hold fast to Jesus because he holds fast to us. That's our gospel. And as the gospel says, those who are in his hand cannot be snatched away. You see, no matter what your got-to is, Jesus can change it to a get-to. And we are his house, and we are in this together. And so if you've got some got-tos that have been nagging you for a long time, we've got people that would love to pray for you and love to pray with you. And we are in this together, church. And so for all of us, my hope is that our got-tos become get-tos because you are not alone. 
You've got a group of people that love you, and you've got a God who loves you, and a Savior who makes all this possible. So let's pray.